So, welcome to another episode of The Solar Journey. And uh, today we have a new constellation here at The Solar Journey. Not only one guest, but two guests. And uh, these gentlemen's, gentlemen are from the company called Solutic. It's a, let's say, IT company from, exactly, <laughs> from uh, Berlin. And they provide services to run solar plants in the perfect way. Welcome, Konrad. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me just briefly introduce um, Stefan and uh, Konrad. So uh, Stefan is a trained IT specialist, and he's now the CTO of Solitic. Um, in short, um, he has been involved in software solutions for power plants, solar power plants, for more than 14 years. So he worked as the managing director for Baltic SD and uh, the managing director of uh, PowerDo. And uh, yeah, PowerDo and then Solitic merged in 2019. And uh, since then, he's, he's been the CTO of Solitic. So he's the uh, renewables IT nerd in this, in this uh, group. Um, and uh, Konrad. He's, uh, he's got more a commercial focus. So since 2008, he has been involved in various startups that provided uh, communication services, restaurant seat reservations. Uh, he was involved in business development, sales, and pretty much all not in solar. Um, he was uh, also a VP of Rocket Internet. That's a fairly famous German company builder with focus on uh, web-based business models. And maybe the most famous child of Rocket Internet is Zalando. That's a multinational fashion and lifestyle platform with uh, 6 billion euros in revenue. And, uh, but he then moved into the renewable space in 2017 uh, when he founded uh, Solitic. And, uh, yeah, and uh, as I mentioned before, um, in 2019, PowerDo. Um, that's Stefan and uh, Solitic with Konrad joined forces. And uh, yeah, Solitic is a, a data-driven marketplace to maximize the all-around performance of solar PV plants. Yeah, welcome again, Konrad and Stefan. Stefan, um, you, you've been in the renewable space for a pretty long time. What was the driving force? Why, why did you, you know, 14 years, I think, in the renewable space, why, why did you jump in there? There's plenty of opportunities for IT specialists. Why, do, why renewables? Yeah, that was because um, actually my wife was working in the solar industry. Uh, and uh, over my wife, I get contact to the company because uh, the company is uh, creating plants, sites all over Europe. And that was in 2014. Uh, so right before the big solar boom, the first solar boom. And um, this company had a big problem with IT services to, uh, yeah, monitor the solar plants so at this time there was no actual software on the market to do this in a professional way uh, and especially not uh, if you want to scale with a huge amount of sites and um, yeah I had my office um, right uh, really close to this company and then we get in contact and so I started to um, actually 
trying to solve their problems by doing small IT services to consolidate the data to make it more easy for them to um, to monitor all the sites. And also started with IT service. So I traveled around Europe in the new sites they are built and um, installed the IT system into the site. It was in Italy, Spain, and, and uh, all around. And uh, I managed to get the data out of the site. So um, it was also a site where... Uh, um, on-field internet was not so stable, so no 5G or something. So it was, uh, yeah, it was not so easy to connect these sites. And um, then this software, which uh, um, which we, or which I created, uh, was basically Excel markups to to uh, group the data. Was more and more evolving into an into an idea how. A software solution can so, uh, could solve this problem for them, and then um, actually I met Johannes Dahl uh, at this time because he was working for uh, for the uh, solar site builder, and um, yeah, then the idea gets more and more solid, and um, then we started the company Powerdo. Okay, excellent, excellent, and uh, yeah, the solar space has been developing quite nicely. Um, there were a couple of uh, dips in in the uh, market development, particularly in, in in Germany. How did that affect your your career? How you, your business? Yeah, that was. Um, I think it was pretty good timing. So uh, we started to to get into this market um, before the big solar crash, um, and um, so we had the idea uh, of what we what we uh, can do to to uh, uh, to create this software, and um, then I think then the, the big crash comes, and we were actually the the first company on the market which was able to create uh, um, hardware independent software, and we was uh, actually an early starter and and at this time, and so we. So we right get into the market when when the second wave started, and so, um, sorry, let me. Uh, yeah. I can at least remember two crashes. So one around two thousand eight nine with the financial crisis, but then also in Germany later on, with uh, a few years later. So which what time frame are we talking about? That's so this was in uh, two thousand fourteen, and then yeah. Uh, okay. I think yeah, this was the first crash, mm. and um, yeah. So that was a re pretty good timing. So uh, then on the second wave, all the plants are built up all over Europe, especially also in Germany. And we had a good opportunity to get uh, in these new sites mm -hmm. um, to support the companies to, to uh, monitor their plants. And that was yeah, pretty good timing. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, Konrad, so you were involved in, uh, in various startups. You're a real, real startup person as well. With, I didn't mention all the different uh, different names, so uh, just just uh, just tell us what you did in your previous roles and why you then moved uh, to uh, why you then started the the company Solitic in 2017. Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having us. Um, by the way, sure. Yeah, so I have done a couple of uh, internships uh, when I was super young at uh, DAX companies, so uh, Volkswagen, uh, Salzgitter AG, and so on. So this was my first working experience, which was good because I found out that this is not the way <laughs> I want to live my life. Um, so Why? during my... <laughs> um, 
I'm the worst employee if I have a boss above me. Like I, I really <laughs> suck. Yeah. Um, and if I don't have pretty much full responsibility and ownership over what I'm doing, yeah. then it just doesn't work yeah, for several reasons. You're a rebel. I can relate. I can really strongly relate <clears throat> on this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I always said, hey, I know things better and I actually do sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I needed the chance to prove them. Uh, otherwise, it's just cheap talk. So that's why I moved into the startup industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, even during my studies back in the days, uh, had a couple of uh, companies back there. Uh, also, as a, uh, you know, started off as a salesperson, uh, worked my way up. Um, also went to uh, Singapore for two years for Kwandu. Uh, you mentioned it before, online table booking. Yeah. It was a quite a great experience because uh, we were responsible for entire APEC. Um, and, and building up the markets over there um, in a different different time zone for more than 40 people. So that was amazing. Yeah. Um, How did you like yeah, life in Singapore? <clears throat> it's slightly different. Um, <laughs> so the, the rent over there was higher than my current salary. So it's yeah. super expensive. Uh, but obviously, it's, it's nice if you just need like two and a half hours to Bali. Yeah? So I've been there quite a few times. But Singapore um, as a city, I mean, amazing. Huh? They're a futuristic city. Um, they're acting fast, um, not only on COVID, but also now on climate change. And they're actually really taking care of their own um, uh, people. Yeah? Um, they're building new stuff. They want to be uh, top-notch. So it's, uh, it's amazing to see what you can do if you really want it. And Singapore yeah. is a great place to, to actually live. Yeah. Uh, but also, after a while, it gets boring because you have been there, done that. And then uh, I also realized that after two years. Uh, so I came back um, and my wife and uh, me, we got uh, pregnant together. So uh, the family thing started. Yeah. So that's why we moved to Berlin. And then I had the chance to, I mean, I was still working for, for startups um, outside of renewables, but then I had the chance to actually go into renewables because it uh, triggered some of my checkboxes. So, you know, startup responsibility ownership, um, there's an economic opportunity, a huge Mm -hmm. one. It was just a matter of time. Like, when is it happening? Mm -hmm. And as we can see, it's super happening now. Um, But also, yeah, this uh, green renewable thing, you know, so we we had to move into this direction anyway. So, you know, I said, why, why don't do it now where, you know, you have the chance. So, yeah. This was uh, my my reason. Yeah, excellent. And uh, you, you, the two of you, you, you used to work for two different companies, and uh, you merged. That that's pretty unusual for two young companies to to come together, right? So uh, how, how how did that come about, and uh, how did you manage such a such a merger? Yeah, it's strange that we hear that so often that it's so unnatural because it feels like it was really, really uh, natural and, and the only way to go because uh, so uh, PowerDo is uh, created a little bit different. So we uh, grow very slowly with getting customer by customer, a small company with only four people. Um, and um, then we met uh, actually Solutic and Solutic was the opportunity for us because Solutic was already grown, solid found with a lot of uh, employees already in, in a dev team, so a real team. Um, and that was a real big chance for us um, to, to yeah, get the ideas we had for years to life because we, have, we had the power 
uh, with all these uh, uh, with, with these bigger dev team to get this to get it actually done. And this was um, no big thinking. So about this, it was actually yeah the first first uh, the only way to go. So how, how did you get in touch? Did you call each other say, hey, why don't we join forces, or how did it happen? <laughs> No, that was actually um, random on a on a trade fair. So my my uh, co-founder Johannes Dahl met the other Johannes um, Johannes Burkhardt on a, on a on on some event, and they get into into yeah talking, and um, then they quickly understood that they they are on the same path. So both companies are exactly on the same path, and uh, we have yeah two two ways to go. We work against each other. Uh, dealing with the same customers and fighting, so we also uh, uh, noticed that we already talking with the with the same customers, and um, the other way is to do it together and uh, to have a hundred percent chance uh, chance then to get these customers instead yeah. of fifty fifty, and yeah. yeah, so excellent, excellent, and. Uh... One big thing, if you join uh, companies, also from our own experience, previous experience, if you join companies, then uh, you bring together two cultures, right? Um, how, how did that work out? Did you see, I mean, four people and uh, like, let's say, uh, already a grown company in, in, in Berlin, did that work all right? Or did you take to take special measures to to integrate those two cultures and ways of thinking? Yeah, so I, I only can tell for myself. So it, for me, it was uh, really easy because it actually we've, just when we were at the company Solutic for the first time, it feels like we're getting uh, into the close circle uh, on the first step. So uh, um, yeah, I remember that sitting in the big meeting room and then uh, I think Conrad uh, was it that introduced our, uh, ourselves and everybody came up to us and asking, who are you, what you are doing? I'm very interested. And so, uh, yeah, it, it feels like we were part of the company from, from the first second on. So it was not, not really hard to get into this uh, thing. And also these, um, yeah, we are, on the same level of age so the culture feels very natural and and yeah was was pretty easy actually yeah. super yeah and it all, we also took our time to do that yeah? so uh, as uh, Stefan just explained it totally makes sense to merge the companies um, but i can also remember that Stefan and uh, Yoda as we call him um, they just came you know once a week then they came twice a week then they took a little bit of responsibility they were slightly on our payroll so it was like a natural process of merging together yeah? Yeah. and at the very end there was a legal merger and this process took place in, within maybe one and a half years so we always had the chance to back up yeah, both sides um, but there was no chance that we were able to back up because it totally makes sense not just on the you know on the skill set level, but also on the personal level. Yeah, super, cool. Yeah, so uh, let's talk a bit, a bit, little bit about uh, Solitic. What, what you, what the service you are providing? Um, why is it important? Um, what do you bring? Um, yeah, what problem are you solving for in the renewable space? Sure. Um, so uh, today, and this is just a rough estimation. Um, I think we have around. 25 million PV assets all over the world. Yeah. yeah. So Within assets, these are small and large systems. power plants. 
like on a yeah. on a private household or a gigantic solar power plant yeah everything photovoltaic yeah. Yeah, everything so it can be a huge park uh, in in egypt uh, where you need yeah. two days to walk out of yes. um, but it can also be like a medium-sized park next to a highway Yeah. It can be a small installation on a on a, a rooftop from a house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so everything it should be somewhere around 25 million. 25 million. Uh, yeah. And as we all know, uh, climate change is happening. So um, we need to uh, scale that up to at least one billion by 2050. One so billion. The next power plants, solar power plants. Power plants wind, wind, all over solar. the world. Yeah. 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 Um, this is just solar, not wind, just, just solar, solar to make this happen. Solar is becoming the, or it's already the cheapest source of electricity in history. So it's, it makes sense to install it. Uh, so now we are in the face of really scaling that up. Uh, and Germany should have around, of these 25 million, I think maybe like two point something million. So Germany is already an old market that passed the two million uh, threshold. Uh, so um, there are quite a few companies out there who are making sure that we get there to the 1 billion in the next 30 years. Yeah, like companies like Enpal, uh, Solar, Eigensonne, Sunrun in America, super great companies installing PV on every roof and every uh, green spot they can find. Yeah? Um, but it's not just, just about um, building it, but it's also about taking care of the performance throughout the 25 years of each PV plant. And this is usually done by professionals within the utility scala segment. That means the huge parks are getting monitored within control rooms from humans and they just take care of it. They have long-term contracts for maintenance, cleaning, all the services that the big PV plants need during the lifetime. Um, but when we talk about the medium size and small size, so commercial, industrial, and residential space, um, this is more of a responsibility of the owner. And they usually don't have the uh, PV experts taking care of the plants at all. Yeah? Um, so this process needs to get automated by AI. Yeah? So that's why we have a software that receives the data from the PV plants, from the inverters, um, maybe data loggers. We have uh, satellite data. We have irradiance data and so on. Also a construction plan so we can build a digital twin um, from, from yeah. so we know the uh, PV asset inside out and put it into our portal, digital twin. So we have all these data sources and put this into a monitoring solution. So monitoring means we have an interface where you can see if you're, a PV plant is uh, up or down or is it's burning or whatever it is. Yeah? So how it's producing. But it's just basically copying exactly the idea, uh, the, the data that we are receiving into graphs. Yeah? Yeah. So then we have a second layer, which is the analytics layer that tells you where Hang you on, have... May, so on, may I jump in? Um, so for the digital twin, that, that's cool. Do you also include like the the technical data of, you know, who's the, who manufactured the solar module, who's the manufacturer of the inverter, the model type, etc., stuff like that. Everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of our USPs is that we are only a software company. Yeah? So we don't bring our own hardware, but we are able to connect to any hardware device out there. So it can be a Huawei inverter. It can be an SMA inverter. It can be some kind of other company's data logger. We can connect to it as long as it can then send data to a third party like Solutic. Mm -hmm. So we don't care which hardware it is. Yeah. 
we are hardware agnostic, hardware independent. Yeah, super. And then you mentioned yeah, the second the, layer. Yeah. The, so the second layer is uh, after receiving the data, we uh, look for potentials and problems within each system. So the analytics layer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we have a third layer, which is called the marketplace. So once you've found potentials and uh, problems, then you also need to offer solutions. So we can tell now it's time for you to clean. So it makes financial sense for you. And now it's time for you to uh, do a warranty extension or a maintenance service or whatever it is that mm -hmm. brings your PV plant during those 25 years to the maximum performance. Yeah. And that's the entire process and value chain that we are automating with our software. Yeah. Wow. So uh, if I was a, let's say, company specialized on module cleaning in Egypt, I could do advertising or something like this on, on your marketplace and say, hey, book me to clean your solar modules. Uh, yes, exactly. We are focusing okay. currently on Germany because uh, um, currently we have around 135,000 PV plants. So we say once you reach uh, around 50,000 within one country, then you have a strong enough demand side. So you have lots of PV plants connected. Yeah. And then we open up the supply side. So, so this is only the case in Germany for now. Okay. So uh, let's talk about a German cleaner. Yes, yeah. they can come to us or we acquire them, yeah. uh, get them as a partner on our platform. And then we just say, hey, we have all these plans. Do you want to offer your services? And then our analytics capabilities trigger the order. So they just tell the, the owner of the PV plant, now it makes sense. These are your offers. Why don't you choose? Uh, they can come in two weeks and just clean your roof. Yeah, fantastic. So what are the, the classic issues that can happen in a solar power plant? I mean, someone who is not familiar with uh, solar might ask, why, why do I need to do monitoring? Why, why, you know, I thought it's so great. Why should I look at it, right? I, I can tell you a story. So that was um, within the first solar boom, everybody was uh, building these mid-sites sites like crazy but monitoring was not not on the top priority so there were many sites out there which had no monitoring at all and when we started the company and we get in contact after the solar first solar boom with our with um, with our customers we actually noticed plenty of sites which ha uh, which had no monitoring and then mm -hmm. you coming up to the site of a customer you uh, uh, yeah we do, did the connection uh, actually by our, by our own and you look up on the wall and see the inverters and half of the inverters are not running since a year <laughs> so because then the customer doesn't notice because you had these eg you had your your income that was coming stably in and the customer also have no experience with what ex to expect from from their from their side so mostly you notice it at the end of the year when you when you're um yeah the income you have from your site is not matching the prognosis that uh, was uh, made at the first place. Yeah. And um, so with this coming up, there are plenty of problems. So there are classic ones with the modules. Um, they could have micro cracks from, from, uh, from hailing storms or uh, uh, when a bird drops a stone on top of it or a, a nut or whatever, um, then inverter gets, uh, can get dirty because uh, there was too many dust, uh, too much dust and they overheat and they break yeah, there are plenty of problems also electricity problems like the connection cable could be bitten by a mouse or uh, could be not installed perfectly and water dripping in and then you have a short circuit and um, so there are plenty of problems that uh, could happen to a site so mm -hmm. it's not 
not uh, not the same kind of problems like with, you have with the wind turbines or with the high dynamic uh, uh, system, but um, yeah, plenty of problems. And um, you have to, to take care of your site because otherwise, because the site is not instantly going into flames or at the wind turbine, you see that it's not turning anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you notice it after a certain period of time, then you already lose money. And uh, yeah, actually, this is the problem why you need proper monitoring on solar sites. Yeah. And with your analytics, can you already pinpoint possible causes? Or can you just tell, well, it's not running good and... Uh, Well, so you have to send someone there. Can you already help the the owner to where to where to look for the yeah. for the issues? Yeah. So, so we um, can already t- tell what's what's actually wrong in the site, but the what where we want to get is to tell the customer that your system is eventually breaking because we see this tendency in temperature, uh, voltage phase, or something. Okay. Um, uh, This is the, the big picture where we want to get, but you can already tell the customer if there's a monitoring on site, okay, this string has a problem, uh, the fan speed has a problem, the temperature has a problem. So we can pretty precisely say what, what's wrong in the site. So you, yeah. in most cases, you have to go on site and to do actually electricity measuring mm-hmm. and to find uh, um, the, yeah, the problem to fix, but we can get uh, give you an idea where to look in, inside your site. Okay. So to, to, to allow such a detailed analysis, do you have to hook up? So you have to use lots of cables and connectors and, and uh, I don't know, connection boxes to, to install your sensors and etc. You need to get the data somehow, right? So is, is that a lot of work? Yeah. How, how much does it increase the CapEx or do you provide that as a service? The, the, the sensors and the yeah, cables, etc., that you need to install? No, this is what, what Conrad actually mentioned, that we don't yeah. have our own hardware. So we yeah. rely on hardware from different vendors. And we tell the customer, it doesn't matter what uh, how your system looks like, we can connect it. As, uh, it only needs to send our data to, uh, through some data logger. And there's also a shift, uh, especially in the residential market, that data loggers are now integrated already into the inverter. So you have real IoT systems in a way. And okay. uh, they directly sense data for us in the uh, yeah in the past it was more like you have to buy a, um, a data logger for meter control or solar log and you have to install it but there is also an internal communication line called modbus in almost every solar plant even in the very old ones where you can connect the data logger to all right so basically There's a standard connection to the internet of almost all electrical devices in a such a power plant, and you just use this data. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So uh, you don't have to buy new hardware when you want to use our software. Uh, so we just take whatever you have and just yeah. connect it with our cloud. Excellent, excellent. So how many people so are no there capex. now? In... Sorry? No capex. No, no capex. No extra capex. Yeah. So your business model, that's... Uh, What software as a service or uh, what's your business model? At, at exactly. Um, yeah. So um, the the two the first two layers, monitoring analytics, this is a SaaS model, software as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, also signing long-term contracts because our customers want to have stability. They usually sign for up to five years. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and uh, the marketplace layer is more of a transaction model. So whenever somebody books a service, for example, cleaning, then we get a cut of the pie. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Percentage. So use in the sweet spot of recurring revenue, um, super nice planning. Once you sign a deal, then you know this is what we're going to get for five next five years. Exactly. So uh, right now we have around 70% of our annual revenue is recurring. So that's quite strong uh, for a SaaS company. Um, but it's not only 70%, but also we have a total contractual value sign. So whatever we sign, um, it's for the next five years. So that's quite attracting for, for a business case. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So, so how many people are there now in, uh, in at Solidic? So right now we are um, 35. Most of them are Berlin-based, but uh, due to Corona, everybody is doing home office uh, yeah. at the moment. So the office is actually pretty empty. Um, and we are going for Series B uh, in the next uh, six to nine months. Yeah, Series B uh, funding, so you're going to acquire more capital. Yeah. The next financing round, exactly. We yeah. already had two, so now we're going into round three. Uh, and then we want to scale up our team a little more. Yeah. So, uh, so are you actually going to come back to the office or do you enjoy the home office and uh, video conferencing? Steffen? Mixed. Yeah, it's a bit mixed. So from from so we are in a, in a big office room in, 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 um, in Berlin. And so, uh, you know, there is a con conflict potential. So developers need to concentrate. Sales is doing a lot of phone calls. Noisy so actually guys. there are yeah. people who, yeah. <laughs> who enjoying uh, that they are at home and can really focus on but uh, what we also uh, noticed we need to to see in our faces again so we need to meet in the office again to get into contact to get these the, these talks on the floor so at the coffee machine so th because there are people in the company actually i i didn't talk to a very long time but i did before because there's some guy who's always the first in the office and you you spend some time in talking with him and you get an idea what is marketplace doing what is sales doing and you also get if there are problems if anybody in the company is frustrated uh, you get get uh, um, um, to him and talk with him and this is the things you are missing if you're in home office yeah. but there are also some kind of um, yeah uh, comfortable situations like you know the developers sitting uh, uh, they don't need to drive around with the uh, with the uh, um, with the underground uh, uh, railroad in, in Berlin or driving one hour with the bicycle. So uh, this is private time you already spare, but yeah, during Corona, you cannot do much as sitting around at home. Yeah. But yeah, I think we will get in the office soon and uh, um, the, yeah, to socialize again. And this is very, very important. Yeah. Are you going to keep some level of home office? Do you think you will you keep that? Or would, would you say, well, you have to come back? To, to the office, show up. Yeah, I think it will be a, a flexible uh, way around. So there are people who really want to stay in the office almost full time. We also uh, we will get people, uh, um, yeah, back into company to to do this event like meetings and so on to see each other again. Uh, but we will find a yeah somehow flexible way to allow people we already had this before corona so home office is nothing new to us it's not like we are uh, one of these companies say no you have to be in the office full time and we don't trust you uh, something we already have a flexible way of home office and we will continue it in, in any way in the future yeah i mean um 
Connor, you've plenty of experience with the building companies, but but Stefan, you as well. So maybe someone is listening now and uh, he's also thinking of starting a company. What's the biggest learning you you made over the years? Uh, the biggest mistakes you did and uh, or the best things you should. What would you recommend uh, to how to evolve, how to uh, run a company, to start up a company efficiently? I think and the first thing I can, I can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first thing I can relate is to hear on people who already did this because I I remember one thing uh, very like it was yesterday. I took over the office when I founded the first company uh, from from another company. It was a guy who actually had an IT company and yeah. uh, was going into retirement, and uh, I had a talk with him, and he told me, uh, "Settle on the first three years will be tough." And I think to myself, yeah, come on. It's an old, old uh, thing everybody told you. And actually, it was like this. So the first time is pretty hard. You have to find your way, uh, um, your your sweet spot in the market. And so it's, yeah, uh, it's a tough time, especially in the start. But you get rewarded from time to time and in a way that it uh, really keeps the fun level up. So, yeah. <laughs> What was tough for you in, in the what what is tough? Yeah, especially uh, the the first company was not uh, founded in this uh, like startup way, like getting a seed invest and so on. So I have yeah. to earn money for myself from the first minute on, and this was pretty tough to find new customer, to hold customer, to get every everything done. So financing everything in a small company you have to do on your own because you have to spare money. You cannot go to a tax office in the first place because you don't have the money to do this. Yeah. And this was actually a tough time. So it's a little bit more easy today, like uh, with finding a seed investor, going to these, um, yeah, pretty common startup story, uh, which makes it way more easy. So even you have uh, some some somebody who can give you advices. And this is all uh, things that I missed for myself in the first place when I founded the company on my own. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's a tough time. So if you don't have a seed investor and you have to earn money from the first minute. Yeah. So you would really recommend... Uh join some sort of networks, startup networks, so that you can learn from others. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's pretty important. Yeah. And Conrad, from your perspective, except for financing, we'll, we'll, we'll touch that uh, in a minute. What was, what's, what's the key learning for you now for over the years? What was the, the biggest mistakes or the biggest trouble you had and or the best advice you ever got uh, to, run a, um, to run a company, to start up yeah. a company? Um, so, for me, the toughest thing was that you need to be able to do seriously everything once you start a company. Yeah? Yeah. Um, you need to be as professional as possible in every single department because you are the department, basically. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yes, we got a, a seed funding of $3 million, um, but we didn't have, or like, at least I didn't have the network to ha just hire people, uh, 20 people from the start, so we had to build this over time. So... Um, yeah, like the small team back in the days, we just had to do everything, sales, marketing, product, financing, operations, hiring. Yeah, so everything, you need every skill you, <laughs> there, there, there's, uh, you need in the company. So um, so that's when you, where you start off and that's where you also get good in. But uh, over time, you start hiring people yeah? and then you have to fire yourself basically from these kind of positions 
and make and bring these people on a level if they don't already have it where uh, they can actually perform so you have to stop doing everything yeah? you have to let go right you, become... you have to let go yeah. and you also have to accept yeah, the learning curve from the other people making mistakes learning from them getting better and so on yeah. and uh, this is this was quite a challenge for me yeah, yeah. Um, because there's the same mentality that i had back in the days when working for corporates <laughs> i know better let me do it yeah get out of my way um, but this is something you, you just have to yeah, develop and learn over time to give your people your, your team like a, a chance to let them learn uh, be a mentor uh, be a sparring partner uh, and, and show them the, the guidance, basically, or you know, teach them everything that you have learned in the past. Um, but this is a tough process. And at the end of the day, our day also has just 24 hours. So if you don't learn that, you will lose. Uh, you will end up in a burnout. You will, uh, you know, your, your wife will let you know that <laughs> you work too much and so on. And then your kids will let you know. And, and this is just not healthy over time, yeah? especially in the clean tech uh, industry. I think the, the startups usually takes slightly longer than the, the previous and non-renewable startups. So, um, you know, we have a, a horizon of five to 10 to 15 years where we have certain plans. Uh, so you need to be there for the long run anyway. So that was quite a tough learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that is, that is a very important part to, so don't found just because you want to found you need to found in in the area where you're really enjoying what you are doing because uh, i remember so we have a, a big customer close in the on the last year and doing i think yeah three to four weeks i slept maybe three to four hours uh, at night at max so yeah. no weekend but it not feels so hard because I really love what I do and I, I, I know where we want to get and I, I'm a developer with all of my heart. And so I, in the back, I can say, okay, it was pretty cool so to build something and to get to this tough yeah. time. But if you, you are just building a company because you want to found in a way uh, and it's not, not your, yeah, uh, not the thing you love, then I think it will be tough to get so exactly the times Conrad described and to go through all this learning and go this extra mile uh, that you need to go if you're founding a mm. company. Wow, excellent. Thanks a lot for sharing. Um, pretty cool, pretty cool advice. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, Conrad, you mentioned uh, the funding. So, uh, Stefan, you were basically bootstrapping in the beginning, but uh, and Solitic, but started right off with some seed funding and the Series A. Now you're going for Series B. Um, can you sh share us some more details? How did you how did you find the seed and uh, Series A funding? How did you do that? Uh, yeah, so so back in the days, obviously, um, you know, when you want to move into renewables, there are quite a few ideas. So you have some kind of ideation phase where you just you know check out. You know, whatever comes to your mind and get informed and, and see if this market is taken off at some time. Um, that's what you actually do during the validation phase. So you have some 15 ideas, then you validate maybe five, and then there's like a winning model at the end. So you just pick one. Yeah? And uh, we were lucky enough to have um, the energy utility Vattenfall as a seed founder, yeah. uh, seed investor, sorry, so how, how uh, did on you, board. Did you, how did you find them? Did you just call them and say, hey, I need money? Or how did they work? Yeah, they were part of the entire process. So they said, hey, renewables is the next uh, big thing. 
so let's find a couple of founders um, and, and a potential team where we can run through these entire phases. So we were, Vattenfall was there from the start because it was their own idea to actually do that. And I was just, uh, and also my co-founder, Johannes Burgert, we were basically then part of the process. We were the chosen ones who, uh, yeah, were guiding through the entire process. How did you, how did you learn about that Vattenfall is looking for 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 founders how, how did you know yeah um just network yeah so um <clears throat> they were building up a vc arm and then it's yeah. really about hey uh Vattenfall, do you know anybody who would be interested for the in, in, in this one who has you know this kind of skill set and this kind of skill set and then we were just uh, you know interviewing dating and then it just happened yeah excellent all right then so seed was Vattenfall, then series a was uh so wider um network of investors or is it all still button for <clears throat> exactly so um the uh, serious uh, the seed investment we just had Vattenfall as investor uh, and then we had around uh, two years to to raise series a and then we mm -hmm. got the other energy utility uh, ewe uh, yeah. from oldenburg so a german one uh, next to the swedish one uh, in it and we actually uh, closed series a just really a few weeks before the lockdown. Yeah? So this was great timing mm. from all sides. Yeah, um, Because I, I could have imagined that, uh, you know, if this would have been a little later, then maybe, you know, something else would have happened. So we just yeah. had super luck wow. yeah? Yeah. that, you know, I think it was uh, um, the internal uh, documents were signed in, in February. So early February. And we announced it a little later. So this was uh, luck, and sometimes you just need luck. And this is just one example where the timing yeah. was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we raised this part, and we had uh, we raised enough money for the next two years. Yeah? And now the two years are coming to an end slightly. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, that's why we're going for Series B for some growth funding. Yeah. So how come that EWE and Vattenfall, they are basically competitors, right? Why would they uh, both invest in the same company? What's the business thinking behind that? Yeah, uh, so that's true. They're competitors on on certain levels, but they're also partners on others. So uh, okay. when you when you take a look at you know who, where you're buying your electricity from, it can be Vattenfall or EWE. That's true, uh, but on other levels, they're partnering. I think even the 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 current CEO from EWE used to work for Vattenfall before. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there, there's quite some some networking going on, um, mm. and but again, both companies, both investors believed in the team. They believed in the vision. They believed in the product. So they mm. wanted to be part of this. Uh, and and now we are actually talking to quite a few other investors who also want uh, to to be part of the journey. So um, yeah. yes, they're competitors, but at the end. They are actually super great investors and partners from us. Okay. So they are great partners. They are not. So what, what about reporting? Uh, how, how do you interact with EW and Vattenfall? How, what kind of work? What yeah. do you need to do to keep them happy in terms of reporting? Or uh, um, it's actually the, the usual um, reporting as any other VC out there. Yeah? So, yeah. yes, they're energy utilities. They have a strategic element to the investment. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have a board meeting every two months. Um, they they can check our numbers uh, every single day through an online dashboard. Um, we we exchange ideas. Uh, they they buy our product. They integrate our service into their uh, companies. They help us wherever they can. So yeah. it's um, 
it, it's really a partnership on eye level. Yeah. yeah, super. Cool. So where do you want to take the companies? So Series B comes in another, I don't know, 10, 10 20 millions or something. And what, what's next? Where do you want to take it? Global reach, revenue, people? What's the plan for the, let's say, next five years? Yeah. Yeah, so um, in the last three and a half years, we basically focused um, most of the time to build our monitoring solution uh, to provide a very professional hardware independent monitoring solution. And we bootstrapped somehow the analytics and uh, marketplace capabilities. So we had small teams in, uh, in these two layers. Yeah? So now with a new investment, we want to build up the teams in the analytics and marketplace and uh, also grow from currently 135,000 plans to more than a million in the next uh, two years. So to really start scaling our product. So this is basically our, our plan for the next two years. Yeah. And, and from the technical point, it's like like I told earlier, this uh, predictive maintenance. This is where a part where uh, we see strong opportunities by using machine learning and AI. So to inform a customer before something happens, um, that uh, you have to take care of the device also with uh, big data analytics. Um, you can do things like you can recommend a customer uh, a certain device for the area he lives into because there are devices which are uh, running better in, in uh, close to, to a sea or close to, to um, or in, in drier regions yeah. uh, with a lot of heat, with cold regions. So you can analyze all this data that we have over these hundreds of thousands of devices that we are monitoring yeah. and give recommendations, what to install, what is the perfect fit, what could happen with your device, when you have to take care, how to uh, uh, get more energy out of your system, how to um, adjust battery, uh, and then if you have modern heating system in your house with a solar panel, how to... to uh, uh, Yeah, to manage the energy in, in, in your inner house system. So there are so many parts that you can yeah. actually take care of with analytics. I know this is somehow a buzzword, but in this in this case it makes really yeah, sense, makes sense because we have so basically data. you're gonna be like the I mean you're gonna have so much valuable data, right? You will know what inverter is good, what inverter runs in what conditions bad or good. So the feedback for the actual manufacturer is going to be also pretty valuable data, really, right? So you will know the modules from, uh, I don't know, Trina or um, Yingli run well in these conditions and not so well in yeah. these conditions. So this is a pretty pretty valuable asset you're going to build, right? The, the, yeah, the we, data we itself, can... right? Especially, yeah, also we can help uh, manufacturers with things like we had this case in the past that um, a manufacturer had a problem with one series of it, of his device and we did some analytics for him with the data to, to, uh, to especially told him, okay, the devices which had the problems are in a area with certain conditions and that mm. brings the manufacturer close to okay i think we have a problem with we need a, a higher uh, um, a fan speed because the system is overheating or something oh, and yeah. this is yeah. insights we can give manufacturers and um, this is yeah very important for them oh. excellent really good really good so um what, what are What are other 
top trends in, in the market? What do you see? I mean, like this preventive maintenance that you mentioned, right? And the, let's say benchmarking feedback to uh, components, hardware components, um, suppliers is pretty, pretty cool. What else, what else do you see where, where solar or renewable space is heading? Um, so since technology since, uh, or business wise, yeah. right. Um, uh, since I've been in the startup industry for quite a while, um, I can see the same patterns that happened back in the days once we had like the, the first big investments into startups um, after 2000 um, and then the first big exits in, in uh, non-renewable startups. Uh, so, uh, you know, City Deal, Groupon back in the days and, and uh, Daily Deal and so on. So they were pretty much the first ones that, uh, you know, got quite a few um, dollars for the exit. And afterwards, like a, an ecosystem evolved, um, you know, like uh, Zalando and so on, they, they all came up. Uh, and this is exactly happening now within renewables. So there's a trend that, you know, uh, history is repeating itself now within this renewable sector. <clears throat> so uh, we had the first couple of huge investments um, into um, NPAL, Solar, Eigensonne, Twice. There are American companies raising more than 300 million euros. Uh, we had the first um, huge exit here in Europe, which was Zonen, so the battery um, uh, OEM. They exited to Shell, so this was, uh, you know, the, the first one on our uh, radar that um, was was actually worth mentioning. So whatever happened back in the days to the to the uh, other startup industry is now happening within uh, the renewable as well. So more money is getting into investments. The exits are getting better. Um, and that's why this entire branch is actually evolving. Yeah? So that's one clear trend we can see. Yeah. And yeah, also from, 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 yeah. from a technical part, which is really interesting, I think I, what I see, um, yeah, saw over the last, dec uh, last years is that when I started, you have to do very close calculation for every module you place on your roof or on the field uh, to see if because the high price if it's uh, efficient or not and today we're in a situation that solar cells are so cheap that you if you have space on your roof you just place it if it's half shadowed over the day it doesn't matter because they are so cheap and i know this is something that we uh, this evolution we all paid for um, to develop or uh, these devices into into this pricing region but in the end um we had such a huge potential. We, if you getting the solar modules on maybe half of all the roofs in Germany, mm. the, uh, you have a, such a big potential. And I know before 15 years, everybody's uh, told, yeah, we will never have more than two or three percentage of energy coming from solar and we way over it. And we are way cheaper than ever expected by by uh, by uh, plenty of people and this is a great evolution that we've seen over the last year and now you have this opportunity to combine solar wind hydrogen and all the system and we will have very complex and uh, uh, very cool systems in the future that will help us with this energy transition and i think maybe in in five or in 10 years, you will be completely able to be off-grid uh, in source of power from, from, the, from the main grid. You only will have it at the, as a backup if you have your own house. And this is really, really interesting and um, a big opportunity. Yeah, yeah. You just mentioned uh, hydrogen and, uh, of course, storage. 
Are you also gonna move into that direction, monitoring system for for energy storage? Is, is that an yeah? We already have this. Oh, you already have. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. We have, we can monitor yeah. um, um, battery storage at the moment. So, and then, uh, for example, on the white label portals for uh, for manufacturers, for the end customer, we're providing information like uh, how off grid you are. So, what is the percentage of of energy you consume by yourself? You put into the grid, how much you're using. So, we already get information like about storage and pro pro uh, production uh, to the customer, so he can or also adjust his energy consumption over the day uh, slightly by using it more efficient um, by using the potential of a storage. So we're already in this market or, or also since years. So already in PowerDo, we started to integrate uh, storage, energy storage systems into yeah. our monitoring. And this is growing and growing. Excellent. excellent. So uh, let, let's look... We, we want to get to 100% renewables. Um, so so where, where do you see the biggest roadblocks, right? Why can't we use solar and wind and, and storage? Why can't we roll it out faster than, than we are actually doing now, right? Because it's there's not so much time left. And uh, uh, there's, there's, the market is still growing fast, but uh, some say not fast enough. What, what do you think? Yeah. What, What are the roadblocks? What are what's stopping us from doing it faster? Yeah, technically, what needs to be done on a business or legal yeah. or technical level to to make it easier for everybody to use. Yeah, yeah technically, I think it's it's the the grid basically. So we need to transport energy and adjust the the grid very very um, uh, very closely. So we have to build these smart grids that we already started with uh, in yeah. Germany, and uh, we need to adjust the energy level from the south to the north. Uh, having a big um, wind parks in the north, producing hydro energy to uh, bring it to other regions in Germany to um, fuel ships, cars uh, with it. So we need. To, a very very uh, smart grid and we need to to actually extend our grid cap uh, capabilities um to yeah to to manage the level of energy all over uh, germany and also we need to extend it into europe so there's a huge potential of uh, storing energy in uh, countries like norway or finland uh, they have um, um like these uh, water Uh, water um, yeah, energy plants, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they we need to transport energy to them if we have uh, in the case we have too much energy, so they can fill up their uh, um, their, uh, their their sea level or the, the water yeah. level, and then giving us energy back when there's not so much wind and energy, yeah. uh, sun uh, irradiation in, in Germany. So we need to open our grid and work together not only in Germany, uh, in Europe, and also worldwide. So this is, yeah. I think, one of the important things we uh, to, uh, we have to come over. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So you mentioned that it's it's also a buzzword, right? Smart grid, right? So what is a, do we have now a dumb grid? Or how does, is a grid operated these days? And what where do we need to take it to, to have a, what is a smart grid? Yeah, we have we have to segmentate it uh, in somehow yeah. to build regional uh, levels on on small village level, for example. That uh, uh, in a, in a small village you have a, a shared storage of energy, and you have your your wind your wind turbine. Everybody has solar power on 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 his roof, and you somehow have a small grid in, inside the village where you uh, um, you're sharing the energy. And only if you need to or you have too much, you can go 
to the bigger level so like like the like um, I think about it like an autobahn level of the energy so you need to have fast tracks to transport energy on a big scale level and you need to have these small small grids um, where you yeah you adjust the energy very smartly so we don't have a dumb grid but we we need to extend our grid and to build uh, to yeah to uh, make it capable of transporting so much energy around in Germany because mostly in the past our grid is uh, created to use energy mostly there where it is produced so in every big city you have a big power plant to use the energy locally but we need to adjust this energy yeah. and um, I know that I don't I think the frequency and voltage is somehow uh, adjusted like constantly to uh, take care of fluctuations in the the energy supply and demand and uh, Is that being done automatically or is this like a guy spinning and turning a wheel to, to adjust these levels? And, and uh, what's, the, what's the grid operation look like now? Do you know? I, I, it's, it's not your core competence, I know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I. I would better coin that it is not done manually, <laughs> so yeah. that there are already smart techniques. But actually, I, I never looked into it, such a, a grid control system, so I yeah. can't tell you from uh, details. One yeah. Yeah, and what, what if you you mentioned that situation, right? A, a region, you know, everybody's got solar and, and wind and uh, whatever. Someone's got a big battery. Um, how how would you take care of the the financial, the commercial part, right? I mean, if I've got a big solar panel, I don't use it. I want to, of course, not give it out for free. So how would you? There needs to be a commercial, automated commercial solution for that. What's your thinking of? Yeah, so I, I'm, since we're already running out of these uh, um, uh, EEG... Um, uh, Feed-in tariff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we need to have... We need to open up this uh, uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a market level set so that you... Yeah, you give energy into the grid when the grid needs it. So uh, everybody needs to be stay dynamic in the future in the market. So, um, yeah, hard to say. I mean, is this something where Solitic would could go, right? Because you know the performance, right? Yeah, so you know we, we could. I don't know if you know measure yeah. it in real time. Basically, you need to be have a really close to real time system, right, to manage yeah, supply is... and demand, and then at a let's say commercial level, how to do the trading between the supply and the demand side, right? So this is something we want to do with the marketplace. So if yeah. we have um, the solar panel connected and we know the consumption of the of the of the household, uh, yeah. we could give already give the customer um, recommendation what is the best to use uh, his energy inside his home. So by buying um, a battery. Uh, um, what is the right battery technology? Uh, what is the right a vendor, a vendor on the market to to sell your power, your energy, okay. and uh, mm -hmm. so this is something we can help by analyzing actually the data of the customer. Yeah. Okay. So there are plenty of opportunities. It's not not so yeah, you yeah. have a fixed plan. It's really demands on on your energy production, your energy consumption, and the region you are into. Mm. Conan, what what have you you your views on on the future of solar and wind? What what needs to happen? What are Constant, constant roadblock. Oh, yeah, current roadblocks where you think they 
they should be removed, right? To to employ to use the yeah, solar yeah. and wind faster. So I'm not a wind expert. Um, that's yeah. more Stefan because his wife is working in, in wind. Um, she switched. But, <laughs> um, but I fully agree with Stefan. So we, I think we have a global problem with the uh, climate crisis. Yeah. So we need a global solution here. So <clears throat> if we talk about politics, actually, my wife is coming home now. But um, if you talk about politics, <laughs> yes, we have to install more and more uh, capacity here in Germany. But if that's not possible for some reason, Why don't we just buy a uh, build somewhere where it's possible? Where don't you know uh, an area where humans don't live? Uh, let's talk about Africa or the Sahara or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> um, I've just seen uh, a, a picture uh, posted by Elon Musk. I think yesterday even where they have the entire world map and they just have a small square somewhere and they said if if we cover all of this small square with solar, we are we are done. Yeah, that's yeah. all we have to do. Yeah. And and this is the kind of thinking that we need. Uh, because I mean, to convince here, um, you know, in, in Germany, somebody that uh, you know now you're getting a wind farm in front of your house. If that's too tricky, we don't have the time to convince this uh, person, or we go into hard politics and say, "Hey, just live with it, and we have to do it." Yeah. Or we find some somewhere else, yeah, uh, a place like uh, you know Northern Africa, where they would be happy for this uh, investment and. Of course, there are some risks and the distance on, but these are solutions that we have to deliver at some point. So um, for me, it's all about global vision and politics getting things done. Because as you said, we don't have the time to, to think about it. We have to act. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Perfect closing remarks. Guys, Stefan and Konrad, it was great to have you on the show. Thanks, Thanks for having us. All the Thanks best for, for your next uh, Series uh, B funding. Um, yeah, and keep building, keep building a company. Sounds fantastic. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank, thanks Thank you. you. Have a good day. Bye bye. Bye. bye.